Hello and welcome to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. Imagine, if you will, living in an archipelago of 115 idyllic islands in the Indian Ocean, blessed with innumerable sandy beaches, mountain rainforests, coral reefs, and even seeing green turtles swimming in the azure waters. That would be the Seychelles. It's a nation of less than 100,000 inhabitants, but there are at least two in Tasmania. My guest for this episode, Anna, and her partner, Marcus. I talk with Anna, who now lives in Launceston in northern Tasmania, about her memories of growing up in this seeming island paradise, a lifestyle which has some parallels, perhaps, in Tasmania. Now, her partner, Marcus, came to Tasmania over a decade ago to study at the Maritime College and now works on the spirit of Tasmania. But Anna came here a little more recently. And I'll let her tell you more about what life is like in the Seychelles and how she's been enjoying settling down in Tasmania over the past few years. Uh, What brought you to Tasmania? I had originally thought about doing, continuing my studies, basically. The options were going to London, going to Melbourne, or coming here, which, because Marcus was here, so... It just made sense for me to move here and be with my partner. So I started doing the whole process of looking into a student visa. And then I was able to get into TAFE. So I did TAFE for one year and then after that two years at uh, UTAS. And then upon finishing my degree, it was smack bang into COVID. (laughs) Oh, right. So then um, we had to make a decision as a couple. Do I, st- am I, did I want to stay on or do I want to move back? Because obviously my son is in the Seychelles still, but the decision I made was to stay here. But now we're also in the process of getting him here so he can be with us. Um, yeah. it's, it, it was just a bit of a, a big decision mm. for me because obviously leaving my my son behind was not easy decision to make but it was just the cost of everything being an international student mm. and how how things played out it it just would have been too much for us to take on at once but now that we're all settled and i have a stable job and he's a bit older as well um so how old is your son oh he will be 11 oh sorry no he is 11 he'll be 12 in august oh, okay yeah. So pretty, yeah, that's pretty yeah. young. Yeah, so the last time I saw him was about three years ago. Oh, wow. Because um, we were meant to go down in 2020 to go and see them, but because of COVID that just never happened. So we're hoping that this year we're still in the process of waiting on response for his visa. So hopefully that gets confirmed and he can move here and be with us. And it's also just a better opportunity for him, like, uh, my partner and I are both from the Seychelles and we both went to the same school. And we've gained a lot from being there, but also grown a lot as individuals on our own here because obviously being away from family, it's just a different um, situation altogether. Like we're very dependent on, the, on each other, if anything. So, yeah, so that's um, what brought me here. And <laughs> now I've decided to stay. If I understood rightly, you came directly here from the Seychelles? Yeah. So I literally lived in the Seychelles for 
30 years, yeah. And then in 2017, I moved here to come do my studies and all that. I'd been to Australia a couple of times before on holiday and absolutely loved the other places. But then when I was deciding to move here and be with my partner, I absolutely fell in love with the place because mm-hmm. I'm we're very much outdoorsy per- people and we like camping, fishing and um, hikes and walks and all that. So when I got here and I just saw how beautiful and green and, yeah, I just absolutely fell in love with the place. And I think something I always think back to is I don't think I would have gotten adapted as well um, in Melbourne mm-hmm. as I have here. Okay. I think maybe it's a smaller town. It just, um, yeah, just reminds me of home, of how okay. how things are easily you know, you can get around to to seeing things and all that. So that made the transition much easier, I think. I can't say the cold. I mean, I'm still getting used to it. And I remember when I got here, it was smack bang in winter and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't fun. But I think over time, like, I have gotten used to it a, a bit more than I did. The first year I probably had four or five layers of clothing on mm. me and now I probably have only two. Yeah, I've actually enjoyed the whole experience of the different seasons. Obviously, the clothing department as well, having mm. all the different seasonal outfits, that's always nice. But, yeah, it's just... um I think it's just a different experience. And the first thing people ask me when, you know, they say, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from the Seychelles. And they're like, isn't that a tropical country? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, what are you doing in Tasmania? (laughs) Tell me about the environment that you grew up in, in the Seychelles. How How would you describe it? I grew up on the main island, which is Mahe, and my parents' place was just 10, 15 minutes from the city, if you, could, <laughs> if you can call it that, so the little town, which is Victoria. So the main island has about 70% of the total population of the Seychelles, and which is only 99,000, like I mentioned. And I remember that my mom always told me I learned English before I learned Creole, which is funny. (laughs) I actually learned Creole when I went to the local school, but that's only because my mom is an English teacher or was an English teacher. And my dad was a Kenya born who moved to the Seychelles when he was 17. Um, And he worked for Air Seychelles at the time as a, a mechanical engineer. So, yeah, so I learned Creole going to school and I think my mum was always really involved with my education, of course, being a teacher and being so such a small island, everybody knows your mum once they know <laughs> once they know who you are. Um, but I just remember having so many trees around the house and, mm-hmm. you know, the kids in the neighbourhood, we would just climb up trees and take the fruits and eat them straight off the tree and then hide up there just talking. And I grew up surrounded by neighbors who were all boys. So that was something different as well. Um, But I just got along with them. School was only 10, 15 minutes walk from the house. I grew up with my grandmother 
mm-hmm. whom I was really, really close with. And she passed away when I was 18, unfortunately. But I remember, like, most of my memories are of her. And even mm-hmm. nowadays, when I'm talking to my mom or to my sister, like there's always something that comes up and we remember something of her, you know, because mm-hmm. she was such a big part of our lives. I remember watching her preparing local food, like mm-hmm. the stuff that we would, you know, grow up eating. I remember the beach being such a big part of my life. Like every Sunday, Saturday, my dad would take us down to the beach. Obviously being a child, I as I grew older, I had interests. So mm-hmm. I would play darts 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 (laughs) which was uh, a bit of an influence on my mum's side because she plays darts okay and on my dad's side I did go-karting so the complete (laughs) two opposite uh but I was also a child who was very inquisitive I Mm -hmm. loved to read and I still do I don't have as much time now as I wish I could have or put aside for for reading but Reading was such a big part of it. I was very, not a very sporty kid, Mm -hmm. but I did get involved with a lot of public speaking competitions and essay writing and all that. So I would, I would say that I was a bit creative in that, in that way. You mentioned that you, you have memories of your grandmother cooking. What sort of things were, were typical dishes uh, in the Seychelles? Well, the typical dishes, you would have, of course, seafood. Fish is such a big staple for the Creole families. But yeah, it would be really spicy. Um, So there's a lot of influence uh, of Africa, Asia and Europe in terms of how the people look, basically. Mm -hmm. And also the cultures have shown them through our cuisine. Um, so we have a lot of curries. We have a lot of dishes that involved chilies, fresh produce, of course. A lot of them are also salted. So like okay. we'll have salted beef, salted fish, salted pork even. And back home when you would go to the butcher and you walk in and you'll see just like the locally made salted sausages um, that we would normally cook in lentils. And that's something I so miss. Like, yeah. I can't seem to find the right sausages here to do it with. And then you would also see blood sausage. Okay. So that was also something that is quite popular back home. But then just grilling large snappers and trevally and all that, mm-hmm. like groupers as well. And that's something that's just... Yeah, you go to someone's house for dinner or a party, there's always a whole grilled fish there. <laughs> like it's just, yeah, expected, you know. Um, and then the curries are endless, like chicken and octopus, beef, pork, chicken. Like I think the Creole are also like very adventurous in their, in the stuff they cook as well. Mm-hmm. But also there's a lot of sweets, but then... Going back to my grandmother, she had this dish that she would always prepare using mango, which is a Mm -hmm. savory dish. So she would use two bread knives 
So instead of like using a grater to grate the the mango, she would use the two bread knives and like just hit onto the mango all around and sort of like uh-huh. chip away at the mango to okay. make it. And it it was amazing. Like she would just do that all the time. And then I asked her, I said, like, why wouldn't you just use a grater? And she said, no, this is how my my grandmother taught me how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's the same with like coconut milk. You'll never go to someone's place in the Seychelles and they've like canned coconut milk. Mm. It'll be done fresh from the coconut. They'll sit outside and just grate at it. So those small things like that and, yeah, the, the just the whole experience of, like, even when we cook something here and it turns out to be 90% mm. of what it could be back home, it just brings memories to both of us. And it's such something so special, I think, mm. for us. And I think my mom knows that we miss those little things, so sometimes she posts little care packages with all the biscuits and treats that we like from back home Mm. (laughs) so we're very thankful for that the creole food is just something very different and definitely something that if you go if you go there or we've had friends come here and we've cooked for them and they've just been mind blown by Mm. how good the the food is and Obviously, we love chilies. It's a bit spicy, so we need to tone it down sometimes. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, they're all like really happy with tasting the the food that we we're able to share. And and that's something else about the Seychelles culture is that we just love to share and give, mm. and it's always done with a smile. It's always yeah. you know, there's somebody who knows somebody will just pass it on. And and do people grow a lot of their own produce? Like, do they have small, um, small? I know in some island communities, just because they're islands, they have sort of small farms of animals. And I think the immediate um, surrounds from this from the town, there aren't that many because obviously the the houses are quite close to each other. Mm-hmm. But the further away you get from the town area, the more the lands are bigger and you will find that people do tend to grow their own produce. But a lot of the produce that is sold in the market are all like like people just growing it at home and then taking it to the market and selling it. It's nothing mass produced or anything like that. So even the butchers, you will have people who will have a specific butcher and go to town every week and go to that person because yeah, they just know the quality of the produce or they know the person. And, yeah, knowing the right people as well always works. Yeah. Even with the fishing and all that, like the the big hotels, they will all buy it from local fishermen and try and keep it within the community. And these people will also um, just sell their fish by the roadside, really. You'll okay. just be driving by and they'll be lifting up lifting up their catch of the day um, and then, yeah, because it's mostly coral fish as well because uh, the fishermen aren't able to go too far out. Yeah, and the main island is rather lots of big mountains because mm-hmm. um, it's a granitic island. So out of the 115 islands of the Seychelles, I think we've got about, not sure, maybe about 20% are coralline or less. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of those are just like basically coralline is just like 
sand. Yeah, like, um, an, but, like an atoll. Yeah, almost. and majority of them, though, are just these big, massive boulders. And, and you get to see the interesting part about visiting is that all the islands are different. They are all unique in their own way. And the Seychelles is also known for two uh, UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Okay. So one of them is the, the second largest atoll in the world, which is Aldabra. And the other one is Valle de May, which is a sort of like a par, a reserve on the second largest island, Palin. And within that reserve, we have what is also considered to be the largest nut in the world. And it's endemic to that place. Oh, I think I've heard about yeah, that. Yeah, the Coco de Mer. So the Coco de Mer can get up to about 30, 30 centimeters in size and weigh up to about 18 kilos even. And that's something that's endemic to the Seychelles. Um, and I think a lot of us are very proud to, to say that we have that and it's part of our heritage. <laughs> I personally did English uh, law and geography. I realized halfway through that law wasn't my calling. <laughs> um, but I ended school and remembered saying to my mom, I don't want to go back to school. Mm -hmm. I want to work, but I don't know what I want to do. So then my cousin who worked in a travel agency, she said, would you be interested in doing sales and marketing? So I was like, oh, I never actually thought of that. And she said, well, we don't have an opening yet, but if you want to start doing something else in the meantime, that could be an option for you. So I did 18 months or so at the airport, so just welcoming guests into okay. Seychelles and all that. Got to meet a few interesting people. So Ashley Cole and Zinedine Zidane right. were two of the highlights yeah. for me. <laughs> and then after that, I moved into the sales and marketing department. So over the years, I've had, I've covered quite a good number of things in the tourism and hospitality. Um, so I did the two years in marketing and then I did some uh, rates and contracting all for the same company. And then after that, I thought I'd give a go at hospitality. So I moved mm -hmm. to working for sales and marketing still, but for a hotel. The hotel itself was based on a little island that's um, about half an hour's flight from the main island, uh, Dennis Island. Beautiful. I still love that place even mm -hmm. today. <laughs> and I still rave about it. So I had a chance to go there a few times. And like I remember my most profound memory was being with a group that were visiting the hotel from a tour operator in Europe and we went snorkeling and just 20 meters off the beach we were swimming with like six green turtles. Oh wow. And it was the best experience ever. But they just came to a point where I woke up one day and I'm like, I don't think I want to do this for the rest of my life. And it was something I was so passionate about. Like I'm still passionate talking about Seychelles and talking mm. about the hotels and all that that I've worked for. But it was just a moment, I think, that just clicked. And I was like, no, I don't want to do this. But then I decided 
I want to move here and I want to do sales, like learn more about marketing in my degree. But because I was an international student, I couldn't get a specialized marketing major. I had to major in management. I couldn't understand it, but it did mean that I could have electives that were marketing. So I took the management. So I did a bachelor in business administration, um, majoring in management. And halfway through my degree, I realized I'm like, I really don't want to do marketing. (laughs) Because I just realized that. So this was your study here? Yeah. Um, So I was. Because most of it was also management and, you know, organizational behaviors and other like HR related administrative um, units that I was doing, I found those more interesting. Okay. And as a person, I'm quite organized in how I plan things and I have other skills as well that I think I never really thought much about. And for the last year now, I've been working at a architecture firm and they're such a wonderful company to work for. And I've been so happy working there and doing administrative duties. And Mm. I'm just like, I love this. Yeah. Like I can see myself doing this. And it's it's also very important because after being working in the tourism and hospitality for so long it takes a lot of away from your personal life Mm -hmm. um and i noticed that of course with my son at the time and then moving here and of course the way marcus works need to have some flexibility to be able to spend time with him when he's home as well so it was probably a good thing to move away from that Mm. scene of you know, hospitality and tourism, but um, I have the flexibility now of working part-time, having my weekends, and I feel like it's done such a good for me, so much good for me in terms of my mental health for first Mm -hmm. off and just being able to enjoy life and enjoy Tasmania and what it's offering, you know. I felt like I had so much things. Like I was in my old jobs, I was traveling to Europe at least once a month to different places, London, Berlin, France, and, you know, Switzerland and all that. Which can be can be great, but it can be challenging yeah. for your work-life so, balance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what made, it, made me click that, that one day that I woke up. Like I don't want to be 40, 50 and living out of my suitcase doing this every month. Mm. And it just wasn't good for me. It was very stressful and all that. And I've just found a good balance in doing something I I really love now and working for such an amazing company and such amazing people that I work with. And being able to have that is such a blessing and I'm so happy. What's the family unit like in Seychelles? Like is the extended family an an important part of life? It is very important. Something that you will notice is that parents have their home with the children and then the children grow up and they build on the same piece Uh, of land as the family. Especially on the further outer islands, that's very common. But you do have 
the other um, smaller islands where they move to the main island because obviously there's a lot more happening there and a lot more job opportunities as well. A lot of the Seychelles also work on the outer islands because obviously the, the outer islands have a lot of resorts mm-hmm. so they would live on on the island and work on the island and that kind of takes them away from everything else they can come down at least i think every three months or so or so um to the main island but yeah it uh, the family is so important to to everyone so everyone's close-knit and everybody's mm. checking up on each other and like I said, everybody knows each other or knows each other's families or, you know. But is that sometimes a, a, a bad thing when they do, is, is it, do you have people gossiping? and? There's a lot of gossip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of gossip, I'm sure. But I think aside from all that, like being so close to your neighbours, they become part of your family yeah. eventually. Because I remember my next door neighbour, he was two uh, two years older than me and we were best friends and his mum was like almost like an auntie to me and that's and then their family their extended family I knew them and mm. they felt like family too so I just yeah it, it just um overflowed I would say and so everybody knows each other and you know ask about each other or it's a really good feeling, but then at the same time, Marcus and I being here on our own with families being so far on, you know, apart, it's just a different feeling as well. It's a bit of a mixed feeling, really. Like sometimes you do want to have that family member that you can just reach out to and the seven hours difference doesn't help mm. um, in summer and all that. But yeah, I think it's just made us more independent as a couple in but we still always are in touch with back home. Like I speak to my mum at least two, three times a month, keeping in touch, knowing what's going on back home. And, you know, she checking in on me. If she doesn't hear from me, she calls me. Are you okay? I haven't heard mm-hmm. from you. And <laughs> and even the family and friends that we have on the mainland, they're always checking in to, to, to see how we are. And I think that's part of the community as well. You're always watching out for your fellow Seychellois. It's so close-knit that, you know, the shopkeepers, like in every little village you've got two, three shops and they all know you by name. Like you Mm. go there and they'll talk to you and, you know, ask you about your day and you walk on the streets and you're just saying hello the whole hundred meters Mm -hmm. that you have to walk to the shop. You're just saying hello, you know, and stuff like that. And, yeah. It's yeah. it's nice. Oh, it sounds it's a little bit like some parts of Tasmania, I guess. Yeah. Well, some a place that Marcus and I really love is Bruni Island. Oh, yeah, and I was just thinking. Yeah. That, right? <laughs> and I feel like every time we go there, I keep saying that I just feel like it's just a a drop from the normal pace, mm-hmm. and that's how you feel when you get off the plane in Seychelles and you you know go out and try and find a taxi or something. It's uh, just a different pace of life and it's a whole different feeling as well. I was going to ask you about the Creole you speak in Seychelles because, of course, there are lots of Creoles all over the world. What's the um, Seychelles Creole based on? So to have a bit of history behind that, so initially we were a French colony and then after that, a British colony. And then mm-hmm. we had independence in 1976, which is 
not that long ago, really, when you think about it. And from that, there are a lot of words that I think it comes from the the slaves listening to their masters, Mm -hmm. speaking in French especially. And there were a lot of like the sound, like if a French person is listening to us very particularly while we're talking in Creole, they will understand a few of the words that we're saying. And I think also that explains why French is taught in schools and is quite, you know, is mandatory just because it's it's easy for us to understand from Creole where that okay. French language is coming from. But aside from its sounding, it's a lot, a lot more of like a rougher, mm-hmm. roughed up type of French. Yeah. your partner Marcus doing before was he did he come here to study so yeah so like I said we went to school together and that's how we um, originally knew each other and then he came to do his maritime studies here and stayed on and um, in the process he also had his daughter and then now he's been here for almost 12 years oh wow yeah quite a long time Um, so a lot of like before I even got here and before Marcus and I even made the decision of me moving here, like we had two and a half years of a long distance relationship. Not easy, (laughs) but I think it was a good experience um, and it's really brought us closer in a way because he actually works on the spirit. So he works 28 days on, 28 days off. So he's not always home. Um, So having that time apart doesn't feel as bad as what it was before. And we've gotten used to the lifestyle um, Mm. of that. If you can manage a long distance relationship for that amount of time and then still be able to live together after that. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a pretty good sign. Yeah. Um, yeah, because when I first got here, we were renting. And then at the end of 2017, we bought this place. Um, and we've been here for about four years now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been it's been really nice, I have to say. What point in your career did you have your son, actually? I was 23, I believe, when I had my son. So still very young and I was previously married. And then after that, had my son with me. I mean, it was a very difficult time for me because obviously because of my work, I feel sometimes is because is why I felt that maybe my um, my partner was able to get custody over him rather than myself but then now he recently well last year when we were talking about him possibly coming here he was the one who actually reached out to me and told me that he wants to come and live with me now (laughs) so it's taken a long time to get to this space but I still I still look forward to being even more part of his life and still being able to make a change. Like I call him once a week, mm-hmm. sometimes twice. <laughs> um, and he's growing up to be such a big, big, tall boy. Uh, he's 
a meter 62, which is really high for his age. So, yeah, <laughs> but he's quite tall and he's quite thoughtful. And yeah, we're just looking forward to being able to blend our family and have it, have everyone here together. Mm. Yeah. And does he, like, does he know much about Tasmania? Or is he? Yeah. So he and my mum visited in 2018. Okay. Um, so that was the last time we saw him. Um, he came and he spent seven weeks with us. Um, and Marcus's mum came up as well. So it was really nice to have all of them here with us. And he he just loved it as well. Like mm. he was always, you know, let's go here, let's do this. And even when he talks to me now, he's like, you remember that place you took me to? And I'm like, yes. Like I can hear the excitement in his voice mm-hmm. and he's looking forward to it, which means a lot to to both of us because we really want him to feel at ease when he gets here. But I was interested to know how do you teach Creel? What resources are there to Funny you teach? should say that. So I am using so I use Duo Duolingo. So I'm using that app, but the French one, and then I'm translating it for her. Okay. And that's because I was starting to teach her like simple words and numbers. But I felt like she was just not catching on. So we started using the app and basically whatever comes up on the activity, I just tell her the word in Creole mm-hmm. and it's helped her. Like she's she's picking up so quickly, I can't keep up. Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But I think from her perspective, she says that she understands sometimes the context because obviously there are English words that we use in our yeah. in our um conversations. But when we speak, we speak really fast as well. So for her, it just sounds like blah, 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 blah. Like it can't keep up with it. So while teaching her, we also have to slow down pace, our talking pace as well. What do you think have been some of the biggest sort of cultural differences you might have noticed between here and the Seychelles. I struggled with understanding lingos when I first got here. Okay, you mean like slang? Yes. And my first job here was at a restaurant. Okay. So the way I think that Australians or Tasmanians will shorten certain words, it was just a lot for me. Like I found it overwhelming because you don't want to ask someone three times what they mean (laughs) without upsetting them. But then at the same time, I was overwhelmed because I just didn't know what they were talking about. And I think that slowly as you get into, like when when I first arrived here, I felt like everything was just black and white. And then as I started to find myself in the community and growing and understanding things, I started to see little bits and pieces that started to make sense. And it wasn't black and white anymore. You know, there was a whole lot more for me to understand. And it was a a little bit scary too, at Mm -hmm. first. Um, We joke about it now, but there were just things that I wasn't used to doing back home. And when you get here, it's all independent and you have to do it on your own. Like, filling up your fuel tank that's done by someone back home like that's a paid job for someone to do that for you and what about getting to know people have you found that easy to do here i i think i'm a pretty 
out there, friendly, bubbly type of person. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember telling Marcus the first time I was out and about alone that I was like, I kept smiling to people, but not everyone would be smiling back. Yeah. And he's like, mm, yeah, you're not going to get, I mean, back home, anyone you see, you smile, they will yeah. smile back. And I don't want people to think that I'm a crazy person walking down the street, just smiling to people, but. grandmother was an important influence in your in your life what, what were some of your maybe best memories of your grandmother or your your strongest memories she would always make me laugh always uh, the silliest of things but she was also a very strict person um so it taught me to i think to just be a bit more decisive in the steps i take and when i take them and who that in you know in um impacts she was also such a giving and loving person she would talk to people that i had not even known you know or spoken to ever in my life and she would do the funniest things like when she would see there was a specific lady that would walk down our street every day and she'd stand up at the top of the property and just call out to her and I think the second thing would be her cooking. Mm -hmm. Oh, she would cook the best food. And, you know, sometimes like there are certain things I taste and it just takes me back. Mm. And that's the per like she is the person I think about. And it's just such a warm feeling for me. So she, yeah, she was just a character. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was pretty organized loved cleaning loved cooking yeah. and yeah she was just she would just take care of the household and she i i would say like i saw her to be strong all the way through her life until she started getting sick towards the end of it and then you could see that she that she couldn't do it anymore and yeah like she was really sick but yeah i think for for the rest of it you would never have known like she would she would be like in her early 80s still wearing her makeup still okay. doing her hair still um painting her nails and then she'd go to the doctor because she's sick but then come out and the doctor's laughing his head off like yeah. <laughs> she was she was just a joker and always making people laugh and i think that's what people always remember her for the the laughter and her good heart so many people mention food because it has those really strong emotional connections yeah. and nostalgia and all that. It's the thing that, especially when people are far from home, they yeah. think about. I think adding on to that, the other thing for me would be music. Okay. Because I, I, I love music, but just those um, specific songs that I remember when I would be growing up and I would hear them, there's the specific one that... I always play, since I've been here, I still play it. And it's a New Year's Eve song. So the story behind that song is sort of like, here's, you know, the end of the year. The the year is leaving us and going. And there's nothing I can do about it. And now there's not that long left to go. And it'll all be over in just a few seconds. So there's 
a lot of emotions for me when I listen to this song and um, it just brings me back as well to to my childhood and yeah the music that we would listen and is to that like a traditional socialist yeah it's it's a it's a, a creole song the the thing is with Seychelles music is that a lot of it is there's a story behind it okay so the mucha for example which is a type of dance um the ladies wear these really long flowy um skirts and it's a very slow paced drum beat that's basically the, the skin of, um, I think it's the, they used to use it a long time ago, the cow skin, I think. Um, and the slaves will do the drum using that and then warm it up next to the fire and start beating it. Okay. And the story is always about hardship, about love or something like that. <laughs> and apparently Marcus was telling me that it's just been recognized by the UNESCO okay. um, as being a type of song that will be recognized worldwide now. And then we have the Sega, which is a bit similar to the Mauritian Sega. Yeah. And then we've got traditional dances which is more from the colony era i think because Mm -hmm. they all have steps that you need to follow and again yeah it's sort of like a story (laughs) 